San Francisco. This is Rochelle Rosegold. Thank you for tuning in to my show, Levels and Luster, where I combine innovative audio with communication to create social change. The term big data refers to extremely large data sets that may be digitally analyzed to reveal patterns, trends, and associations, especially relating to human behavior. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. Combining these things together is creating tools that are almost more powerful than we even imagined. We are living in the wild, wild west of the data revolution, and with that, there still needs to be regulations put in place to oversee corporations and protect consumers. However, this does not undermine the innovation taking place with the data and in what ways it is beneficial for society. The bottom line is, the big data train is moving forward, and the more fear and confusion around the issue, the less likely you will get a ticket to board the train, the train that is heading towards our future. In other words, if you do not include yourself in these data sets, then you will be left out of the analysis. Especially for marginalized groups, this could be devastating. This podcast series is designed to shine light on professionals using AI applied science in their fields for the overall betterment of humanity. I am back with my second guest of this podcast. This is Professor Chris Brooks from the University of San Francisco. He has a research background in technology and social justice, web 2.0, blogs, social networking, and artificial intelligence. He is here to talk about the philosophy of AI and its use in finance and logistics. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. So I wanted to first jump into the intro and how I defined AI. Do you have anything to add to that regarding a more in-depth inf- uh, definition of the philosophy behind it from someone who's an expert in the field? Sure. Yeah, thanks. I, I really liked what you uh, had to say. Uh, often, you know, a- artificial intelligence is such a big and messy word. And so often people want to think about it in terms of the way we see intelligence in pop culture, right? So that would be data or C-3PO or the Terminator. Uh, what we would sometimes call human-level AI. And it turns out that's actually not what most researchers are all that interested in, mostly because we don't really need any killer robots around. Uh, So most artificial intelligence that people are working on today tends to focus more, uh, as you said, on solving a particular task that requires some sort of intelligence. And what that means is still messy because we just use the word intelligence to define intelligence. Um, But it tends to be one of those things where you know it when you see it. It's a task like scheduling a large series of deliveries or recognizing faces or translating between languages that we would say, yeah, things that can do that are intelligent. And uh, if we can write a program that does that, then we would call that program intelligent. Uh, And we can delve into that a lot more, too. But I think that's the, the nutshell. So you're saying some some technology can play chess with you and others can help you drive a car. There's exactly. There's a vast uh, difference between there. Yeah, and we don't expect our self-driving car to play chess with us. Or maybe we do in the future. That would that be nice. That might be nice. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'll, I'll maybe add in there is sometimes we uh, don't really care that the thing is really intelligent. We just care that it looks intelligent to mm. us. So if you think about the, the chat bots that uh, might deal with you when you're calling in for customer service, and you know it'll say something like, "Say your problem," and I'll direct you to the right, the right 
person. We don't care that that thing can really understand us. We just want that behavior. We want that illusion of intelligence, and mm -hmm. that's enough for us. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of AI is really about providing that illusion as opposed to really uh, cognitive simulation. Interesting. And then how is AI currently being used in finance and logistics? That's a great question. Uh, so logistics, what we usually mean by that is delivering things, moving items around, getting them from point A to point B. Uh, and there's a few places where we see it as consumers right now. Uh, the most obvious one is being able to track your packages. Uh, you know, I can go on my phone when I order something from Amazon or whoever my favorite uh, seller is and see exactly where that item is and exactly when it's going to arrive at my house. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a slightly more, um, maybe less consumer-facing example. 25 years ago, it used to be the case that railroad uh, companies had no idea where most of their cars were. Uh, mm -hmm. at a normal, on a normal day, uh, a railroad shipper would probably know where about 5% of their train cars were. And the rest mm -hmm. of them, they were in a lot someplace and they had no idea. And they were probably sitting idle. Mm -hmm. And so what that meant was that if you were a shipping company, you needed to have way more train cars than you needed because you just didn't know where they were. Uh, and you didn't know how to efficiently get it from Chicago to St. Louis, for example. Well, now, because of not only technologies like GPS that let us locate devices, uh, but then AI systems that let us efficiently plan how that train is going to get from Chicago to St. Louis and load up those Beanie Babies and then get that to Spokane and drop them off and load up some wheat there and get to San Francisco. Uh, you can have just-in-time delivery. You can have those cars be used more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And so you get uh, improved resources. You get better deliveries. You get more customer satisfaction. In the finance world, it's similar. A lot of what you see AI being used for is what's sometimes called arbitrage. Uh, that is noting places where something is being sold for slightly less or slightly more than it's being purchased for, for example, on the stock market. And so then uh, AI can be used to locate those little discrepancies, make a trade much quicker than a human might spot it. And uh, at least if you're a Wall Street trader, you're happy about that because you're extracting some extra value. The real question then is, okay, how does that benefit come down to the consumers as well? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's quite trickled down there yet. In terms of logistics, just having the more information and this uh, increase of technology, we actually are utilizing resources better. We need less resources. We need less man hours. Yeah. In, in both cases, what you see is technology is allowing us to make faster decisions and to exploit efficiencies and find new opportunities. And as with everything, then it kind of comes down to what problems are you going to solve with that new skill that you have? Are you going to just solve problems to extract profit or are you going to solve problems to help people? Mm -hmm. So in the logistics case, humanitarian aid is a great example of where AI technology can be really valuable. You know, imagine that you have a disaster, uh, a flood or a large fire or something like that, and you need to get aid directly to the people who need it. Having this sort of next generation logistics can help you uh, deliver those supplies exactly where they need to go and not leave them, you know, sitting on the dock in some country because you, you can't figure out where they might be. Hmm. And so in terms of humanitarian aid and also getting our packages more efficiently, what other ways is it affecting our lives directly today? Well, you know, the other thing that I think AI is really attractive for is what I would call reducing our cognitive load. Mm -hmm. So in other words, AI can be used to help us, rather than replacing humans, it can help us not have to think about those tasks that we don't want to deal with anymore. 
right? So for example, if I'm getting a package delivered, it's awfully easy for me if everybody else just deals with it on my behalf mm-hmm. and gets it to where I need to be. You know, if it's able to anticipate, for example, oh, you're at work today and not at home, let's just automatically deliver it there. That would be great, right? Mm -hmm. If my TV can record the shows I like for me without me needing to remind it, or if it can anticipate my needs and, for example, put in an order to Amazon to get my new dishwashing detergent because it's noticed that I'm out, Mm -hmm. that stuff is great because it lets me focus on other stuff then and not have to worry about some of those mundane pieces of my life. Mm-hmm. I see a pattern of that in other areas as well, where it's the mundane uh, uh, decision making that can cause us like information overload in our head and then just freeing up that time for for other things like more strategic thinking, critical thinking is really beneficial and can be very effective with man hours in the future. I know on my last episode, uh, I was speaking with Professor Faye Chen, and she discussed how uh, inputting statistics and uh, in articles with sports is some of that the same idea where it's a lot of just looking through paperwork, reporting numbers, and AI technology is taking care of that to use our thinking in other ways. Sure. So yeah, if you look at uh, Google News, for example, or mm-hmm. Netflix or mm-hmm. Spotify, what they're doing is uh, what's called a recommendation engine. And so we provide it with some initial seeds. You know, here's some articles I like, here's some I don't like, or here's some music I like and some music I don't like. And then what the system is doing from there is trying to make predictions about what else you might like to help you as a consumer sort through the massive amount of information that's available Mm -hmm. uh, and reduce your cognitive load. You know, the other thing that's interesting about all this is you have AI really aligning with these other new technologies that are coming along. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the really interesting and positive breakthroughs. Uh, you know, so for example, being able to do that sort of filtering that, you know, you want this song, not this song is super helpful. Uh, but it's so much stronger than when it's also hooked into my phone or it's mm-hmm. also hooked into my smart speakers so that it can sort of detect what I'm doing in my life without me needing to prompt it. So Mm -hmm. you get this sort of convergence of enabling technologies, and that's what really brings the transformation that uh, is so exciting. And then when you're talking about enabling these technologies, uh, like I said in the previous episode, when I was talking about public relations and marketing, uh, these technologies are creating a huge impact, uh, but their effectiveness is still being improved. What would you say some of uh, the effectiveness of these technologies in finance and logistics uh, is currently today? Yeah, you know, a lot of the the current effectiveness, again, is about sort of identifying these efficiencies or finding little places in the system uh, where things break and improving that. It's a real incremental change. Mm -hmm. I think uh, then what will happen is over the next 20 years or so, you'll see kind of the more fundamental changes take place as other parts of the ecosystem respond to to the availability of this new technology. So one example would be uh, the way that Amazon has moved towards just-in-time delivery, Mm -hmm. right? so that you can get a package delivered to your house the day you order it. Uh, Now, part of that is AI, and and they're being able to respond and have warehouses that are well laid out that can be driven by robots and can collect all that. Part of that is sort of a business process recognition that rather than having one huge warehouse in Indiana someplace and shipping everything from there to to your house, which takes two days, that there should be lots of decentralized warehouses close to where consumers are so that they could deliver something to you in an hour if they know you need it. Hmm. So, so what's cool about that is you see there's two pieces, right? One is there's this AI piece 
of the just-in-time logistics and consumer prediction and understanding what our needs are a little bit better. And then the other is then changing their business process to really take advantage of that. And that's kind of the real revolutionary thing that has let Amazon really upend uh, how traditional shipping works. So it's not only the AI technology, but then it's all these other supporting pieces that come in with it. Interesting. And with all of the information that they have regarding when you're running out of something or how fast you want something, how do you think this is concerning for consumer privacy or societal harm uh, with using this technology? You know, that's a really great question. And, you know, the Pandora's box is opened here, I think, right? Uh, we are being watched all the time, uh, whether it's your consumer behavior or your driving behavior, what you happen to do in a store. We live in a world where all this data is being collected about us. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we as consumers should be vigilant about this, I think, and it's important to make sure that our rights are protected. So you know, organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation do a really good job of advocating for consumers so that uh, retailers or other corporate entities don't use our data more than uh, than they should need to. Uh, Europe now has this thing called the GDPR, which you maybe have heard of. It, it's what makes the little th- thing come up on websites and tell you that they're using cookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most important things in there is what's called the right to be forgotten. So that is that businesses are required to destroy the data that they collect about you once they're done using it. Um, So I think there's this really interesting balance that comes up in here. And there's a real space for us as a society to have a conversation about the need for privacy and the importance of privacy and the need for convenience and support. And to really ask the question, like, why do we want privacy? Why are we trying to protect ourselves? And why do we want convenience? What are we trying to get out of that? Why are we creating this thing? What is the fundamental good that it's serving? And if the good which hopefully is humanitarian, is about uh, serving the humanity as a whole, if that outweighs the need for privacy, then it makes sense to pursue that. If it doesn't, if, if we can't fundamentally say, why is this privacy violation so important, then maybe we shouldn't pursue it. Mm-hmm. So really critically thinking about why we are protective of our privacy and wanting the convenience. It's really important to think about, uh, have an open mind about why we want the things we want instead of being fearful about it and wanting to know more and wanting to understand more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of the reasons of this podcast and talking to others in the field as well is to really understand why there is fear around it, what is what are the positives about it, as well as understanding the need for it. Yeah, I thought you had a, such a really good point in your intro that, you know, the, the stuff is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Innovation is going on, big data is real, AI is real, all this stuff is, is occurring right now. And so we as members of society, innovation has a direction to it, mm-hmm. right? And we can shape that direction by how we frame the dialogue around all this. And if we, for example, say, hey, you know what, we think these are the problem. Let's say we think climate change is really important, because it is. And we think we should be working on that. If, if we as citizens speak out and say, you know, AI should really be focusing on climate change. It should really be focusing on uh, preferential treatment for the poor, let's say. Uh, we can drive innovation in that direction. If we as consumers say, yeah, I don't care about that stuff, but I really need that new version of Candy Crush on my phone. Mm-hmm that's what we're going to get, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, innovation is going to respond to consumer demand that way. So I think being educated and being aware of the fundamental things, that w- directions that we want to see our society go in will lead us to innovations that are positive and that are helpful and will make our lives better. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I keep seeing uh, with this pattern 
talking to professionals in the field, the technology is coming from a place to create a better business, also to create more customers, to, to create a more user-friendly experience for the consumer. Yeah. Technology is a tool, right? And we mm-hmm. can either use it for good things or for bad things. Uh, but we need to be aware of why we're using it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the important conversation to have is how do we use this tool for good things? And what are those good things that we all want to pursue together? Mm-hmm. Um, but if we don't ever have that conversation, then it can go in whatever direction we want. Exactly. In which ways would you like to see it being used to benefit the society in a more positive and social justice way? That's a great question. I, so I mentioned climate change already, and I mentioned poverty. Those are you know fundamental values that we have at USF, and I would like to see that. The other question that's really interesting around AI right now is around automation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is something where, you know, in three years, I don't think we're going to see any difference. But I think in a generation, we could potentially see a big change. Uh, similar to what happened in the Industrial Revolution, which is uh, AI will wind up displacing a lot of people's jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, we already see it in things like customer service and in, you know, some other more niche fields, but customer service is one where it pops up a lot. So what if in 20 years we find ourselves needing only two-thirds as many jobs as we do today? Uh, that could very well happen. And if we're not careful about it, we could wind up in a situation where we have rampant inequality mm-hmm. and you have a lot of people who just can't find a job. Unemployment is very high. And then you have those people who have skills that couldn't be replaced and they're doing great. Mm-hmm. I would argue that's not a very good solution. We could instead also wind up in a world uh, where we make some of the same gains that we did uh, 130 years ago when the industrial revolution happened. And we realize that people can work less. Mm-hmm. Right. So when that happened, all of a sudden we didn't have child labor anymore. And we, we went to a 40 hour work week. You know, thanks to the labor movement mm-hmm. and to protest. We could have that same thing happen with AI, where we move to a 15 or 20 hour a week, or we move to a world in which you know, larger sets of people don't need to work for a living, but they can be subsidized in some other way, and they can contribute to society and other things besides directly having a job. Um, so again, it comes down to having this conversation, though, as a society about what are our values And what do we think is important? And for me, I would love to have that conversation about how can AI lift everybody up, move us out of a world in which people need to work jobs they don't like, uh, where we have wage stagnation, we have income inequality, and instead use this as a way to let people have more free time, more leisure time, to do the things that really make them happy and really satisfy them. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people say follow your passion but that's not really the reality in the world we live in today we have to work and usually your passion is in what you're spending 40 hours or 50 hours a week doing and so opening up that time and space to use your your free time to do your passion would be beneficial for yourself and for the rest of society right so if you've been following the presidential election you know andrew yang is one of the Mm -hmm. candidates and he's been the one talking most about this idea of universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not necessarily advocating for Andrew Yang, but, uh, but the idea there is, there is if you're going to have automation happen, if AI is going to really uh, displace a lot of jobs, well, you know, rather than making everybody work minimum wage jobs, doing whatever they can, we could instead just provide everybody with some additional support the way we do with uh, welfare and Medicaid and uh, programs like that right now. And let people instead then be free to follow their passion or go Mm -hmm. back to school or spend more time with their family or all these other things that we think are really valuable, 
but aren't really monetarily quantified most of the time. And so mm-hmm. people give up on them. But mm-hmm. we can inject that back into our economy, uh, pay people to do all those things that we think are important and have a better life. Mm-hmm. And the way that the college structure is set up right now, I feel like, is to prepare students for a successful career. And a lot of successful careers are all in the STEM uh, Mm -hmm. field right now. And it's kind of putting the humanitarian and the fine arts departments on the back burner when that's not necessarily something that's going to be good for society in the long run because we're going to need art. We're going to need culture uh, to to round everything out. Uh, There's a, I'll put in a quick plug. There's a a book that you might be interested in. It's called The End of Utopia. Mm -hmm. And um, I like about the first half of it. Then it gets a little, a little squishy. But the idea that the author makes is really an interesting one, which is if you go back 300 years Mm -hmm. when uh, Thomas More is a philosopher who wrote a book called Utopia back then. Mm -hmm. And you look at the sorts of things that people were talking about back then as being utopia, we kind of have them all. They Mm -hmm. were things like education and freedom from disease and plentiful food. And for the most part, we've achieved a lot of that stuff. And so now it's incumbent on us as a society to imagine what our next utopia is going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do we think the world should look like in 200 years and conceptualize that? And that's how we get there is by starting with the dream. Mm-hmm. So if we say our dream is, you know, a Star Trek type world free from work where everybody's got everything they need. Okay. Well, let's start with that imagination and that dream and then we can get there. But if you don't have the dream, you'll never get there. Interesting. And so what would you say is on the horizon for uh, this technology, for AI and big data in terms of short and uh, long time Yeah, span. that's a really good question. To contextualize it, a lot of people in the innovation space talk about this idea. Um, I heard it from Raj Reddy, who's the president of Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, a lot of innov- inventors will talk about this idea that most disruptive technologies, and so disruptive technology is one that comes in and completely upends mm-hmm you know, Uber is not a disruptive technology. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they tend to underperform in overpromise in the short run and underpromise and overperform in the longer run. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Uh, what I mean is that often a new technology comes in, there's a lot of hype around it and everybody is sure that it's going to change the world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't. And then often there's a lot of pessimism and a lot of backlash and, oh, that wasn't so great. But then if you look 20 years later, it's changed the world in all these ways that we never even thought about. And uh, GPS is a good example of this. So when GPS was developed in the 90s, it was originally conceptualized as a, a tool to support the military. And the idea would be that you could track assets on a battlefield, tanks or you know supplies or whatever it might be. And that was sort of the application that the, the people had thought about with it. But it didn't really work that well. There mm-hmm. wasn't enough satellites yet. The GPS, you had to have a separate handheld device because there weren't cell phones at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the devices were kind of buggy and the batteries ran low. Um, there wasn't all these other um, software tools that were going to make take advantage of GPS. And um, so the military was really upset about it. You know, they'd spent all this money developing and it was not really panning out. And so they almost killed it. Uh, but luckily they didn't. They stuck with it and kept funding it. And now if we look today, what's happened is, so first off, there's, you know, the technology's gotten better. Um, turns out it's really hard to scale these things to global size. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we got more satellites in the air, the radar is better, the placement's better. But all these other technologies that take advantage of GPS have popped up. 
right? Cell phones came along along the way, and now there's this massive consumer need for GPS. Google Maps came along and was able to integrate GPS with machine learning so that they can do real-time uh, traffic prediction, right? Pokemon Go is here, and so now we can play cool games using GPS. The, none of those were the things that the people who developed GPS really thought it was going to do. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't have any of those applications in mind. Uh, but this whole ecosystem built up around it and transformed the world in ways we never would have thought of. So I think to answer your question, that's what's going to happen with AI. In the short term, we'll see these sort of incremental improvements. We'll be better at recognizing faces. My phone will remind me about an appointment a little bit better than it did before. Um, And that'll be great. Mm -hmm. But 20 years from now is when we're going to really see these massive changes that we really can't even anticipate. But we need to have the dialogue about what changes we want. Mm -hmm. And then that'll drive innovation uh, towards those goals, even if we don't know exactly how we'll get there. Well, if all else fails, we still have Pokemon Go. So right. Come take my class if you want to learn more. <laughs> I wanted to just mention a few things that you said earlier. Um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF.org, if you want to understand more about the privacy issues and what we're doing about it today, as well as the concept right to be forgotten which will erase your data after the company is done using it. So those are two great things to know. Thank you so much for coming on my show, Levels and Luster, and talking about the inside of technology and giving the listeners more of an insight uh, of this great future we have in front of us, but we have to make it great. That's right. Thank you for having me. Levels and Luster is produced solely by Rochelle Cornelius at the KUSF College Radio Facilities in San Francisco, California. Tune in to KUSF.org today to hear the latest independent music first. Follow me on social media at Rochelle Rosegold, spelled R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E, Rosegold, one word, for updates on my latest projects. Thanks for listening.